Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. And welcome to season seven. Woo! Typically, I like to kick off the new season by getting a vibe check, but I thought in light of today's topic, I got to ask instead, how are your New Year's resolutions holding up so far? Not great, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I look, we, I think you and I discussed this in our, in our newsletter, which is a part of our Patreon. If any of you are interested, $5 a great plug, great plug, (laughs) totally natural. I would say they're going fine. Like we, both of us kind of admitted we, we either don't like resolutions and, or just like try not to really adhere to them too much. But I think mine so far, apart from reading more, I've been pretty good about, but to be fair, I bought a place and moved into it in the first few months of 2022. So I'm going to give myself a little bit of grace there. How about you? Was that part of your resolutions for 2022? No, no. Just oh, being better, just better a, with money. Just a surprise. As an immediate result, you like secreted it into existence. There we go. There we go. How about you? Um, well, Cheryl Crow once wisely said, every day is a fucking widening road. So... <laughs> Ladies, am I right? No, I mean, you already know that my only resolution and uh, was that I I believe that is no longer my turn to continue to improve. It is now the circumstances turn to improve today. At some point, though, you know, during like a morning free write, which is so woo woo of me to admit <laughs> aloud to anyone, <laughs> I did believe that I stumbled across maybe what's going to be my my only resolution, which is to tell my friends I'm proud of them more, which I you know, I'm really sorry for being super corny on Maine right now, but like, no. I just think that it would be a nice resolution is to tell my friends that I'm proud of them. Like, I'm so proud of you for buying your first home. That's such Thanks, a big Margo. deal. I appreciate and, that. You know, I'm just, I'm so proud of so many of my friends and proud to be friends with them. So I'm going to resolve to say that more out loud. 
Oh, that's very sweet. I mean, we don't we don't do a video recording, but you should see. I have a very big <laughs> smile on my face. So thank Aww. you. See, it's already working. Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. Paul Red opening the hot sauce. <laughs> so I don't think I'm spoiling anything or giving away any sort of like trade secrets when I say that this episode was initially conceived for SF Sketchfest, which happens in January, but we didn't get in and then it got canceled. Is it a coincidence? Who is to say? But mm-hmm. <laughs> in the time in between our application and now the shenanigans in the wellness and diet culture world have taken some really kooky fucking oh, yeah. turns. Oh, yeah. From discovering that an old mutual party pal of ours is a serious believer of the carnivore diet, and not ironically either. He's like posting about how seed oils could be <laughs> sunburns. I just, yeah, I, I laughed, and then now I'm actually genuinely afraid because, you know, thanks to maintenance phase, they're going deeper on like the person who, where all of the carnivore diet like originates. Jordan Peterson, not that one, not the murderer from Aruba, a different Jordan, Jordan Peterson. Anyway. Oh my God. So we had that. Then we had very recently Heidi Montag literally eating raw bison meat. Raw bison meat. Paparazzi pictures. And then like I was saying earlier, you know, and this increasing string of like what the fuck this is real episodes of maintenance phase lately. So I think that we were ahead of our time and wanting to return to the almost wholesome seeming diet and workout crazes of the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, it's funny that we spend a lot of time using terms like really, you know, the diet culture is, well, it's toxic in general, but I feel like in the nineties, we tend to say a lot of times, oh yeah, but it was way worse back then. And I'm like, uh, the raw meat though. Is, is it though? Is it, <laughs> is it though? But there is a little bit as you and I are probably doing research. I bet you thought the same thing as me, which is the more things change, the more they stay the same that oh my essentially God. every yeah. decade or so we see a lot of the same diet or workout trends come back in some sort of variation. I would say that's the thesis of this entire podcast is the more that things change, the more that they stay the same. So it might have been a different time. You could also say it was a simpler time before before (laughs) hot yoga, a moment where snack wells and dance booty yoga were things that you said in casual conversation. We're going back to, you know, what would be right after New Year's, you're making your resolutions, you're going to like eat right and exercise. So we're going to take a step back into step aerobics, the Atkins diet at the height of its powers. Jenny Craig, remember her? And Ty Bo, remember him? I don't know. We're, we're now at the we're now at the fork in the road that we said that we would decide on in the moment of if we were going to start with Jenny Craig or Atkins diet. Emily, what are you feeling? You know, I feel like we should go into Jenny Craig. And the reason Let's I go. say this is Let's because go. lots of scams. I mean, we love a good scammer on this podcast, <laughs> as you all well know. Um, and I think Jenny Craig who's actually real name, her real name was Genevieve Guidros, uh, which <laughs> just, starts immediately. It's, I mean, it's with the name that is, that's like a record number right there. Correct. <laughs> I mean, granted, she did marry a man with the last name of Craig, which is where this comes from. However, like it just, it's, it's really great stuff. It's just the stuff of people who have zero experience in, uh, or who have little to no background, uh, in health or nutrition. <laughs> who somehow think that they should be the experts on what people put into their bodies on a daily basis. But enough of that. Uh, let's just if really... You, if you had to f- equate her with somebody from today, who would you call a Jenny ooh, Craig? Ooh, okay. So I think she is... Um, 
Maybe Moon Juice. Um, you think she's Moon Juice? No, girl? no, no, no. You know what? She's like, and I say this because you know what I found out in this research is Nutrisystem is a lot older than I thought it was. Hmm. I would equate it to Nutrisystem a little. Like it's you know prepackaged food. I mean, mm, yes, yes, yes. But, but like, but, who's the face of Nutrisystem? I don't even know anymore. It used to be like That's Marie. Not- it was Marie Osborne at one point, or Marie Osmond at one point, but. Right. And I know that Rob Lowe is the face of Slim Fast, which makes you go, wow, Slim Fast still? Really? <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I'm thinking, I don't know, Daily Harvest. Like, I feel like nowadays, I mean, they're much more wholesome ingredients. I'll give you this. That, like nowadays with like the Daily Harvest or whatever's of the world, if you buy like prepackaged meals, uh, generally they're made of much better ingredients. Maybe this is like the I, yeah, I don't know. I'll have Would to you say it's this. like a like Laura Prepon's like YouTube videos, yeah, maybe or more like along that. the lines of like happily Eva Eva or whatever Susan Sarandon's daughter, who's like an Ooh, influencer yeah, of Eva sorts. Marie Mar- Martinez. Yeah, maybe her. No, she maybe. well, she got divorced, so she dropped that last oh. name. So, oh, yeah. excuse me, Eva Amori. Uh, yeah, maybe that's her. I, I'll have to think about this. I but- don't know. Really, Jenny Craig has been around a lot longer than I thought. Um, a lot of these diets. I think you and I both talked about this before. A lot of these diets were around a lot longer than I had thought, you know, because I just remember their heyday in like the early 90s. But let's get into it. Really with Jenny Craig, over the years, there have been several prepackaged diet food companies, many of which went through several rounds of rebranding in an effort to stay relevant. But few held quite a market share in the 90s, only to go downhill so quickly the way Jenny Craig did. And Jenny Craig, by the way, is named after our girl Jenny, who we said earlier, Genevieve Guidros. Um, and in fact, it's a company that's made up of a husband and wife who are co-founders. So Jenny Craig was born August 7th, 1932 in Berwick, Louisiana, and raised in New Orleans. And then her husband, Sidney Craig, was born March 22nd, 1932. And he, growing up, was a tap dancer and a child star. So he grew up in like the greater LA area. And uh According to this book, I read excerpts from called Public Health Profiteering, where they talked a lot about the testimonials. Um, There was a lot of court hearings in the 90s where all these diet companies had to testify because they were falsely advertising shit. Surprise, surprise. Anyway, this kid, when he was a child star, he tap danced on the Our Gang show with like Alfalfa and Spanky and then um, would go on to Cal State Fresno majoring in business and psychology. So so let's start there. He has no degree in uh, dietary sciences or whatever you want to call it, nutrition. Well, like all of this has nothing. Anyway, you can tell this guy does not have the background. So during this time when he's at Cal State Fresno, he was a part-time dance instructor at an Arthur Murray dance studio and would go on to join the company and later earn, own several franchises of Arthur Murray dance studios. He later worked on, for a chain of women's diet centers called Body Contour, which just sounds like a Kardashian endeavor, in my opinion. Like, it just, it feels like something that Chris uh, Jenner will be shelling at one point in the next uh, few years. He happened to own a franchise of this body contour center in New Orleans, which is where he met Jenny, then still Guidros. Uh, she was an employee at the store um, and his subordinate. And they were both allegedly married to other people when they met and began a relationship. They would go on to marry in 1979. And that was around the time when Nutrisystem, that was then a rival of Body Contour, 
and this was where I was surprised that Nutrisystem had been around since like the 70s, uh, eventually bought the 200 locations of Body Contour in 1982. And because of this buyout, the Craigs had a non-compete clause that basically said for the next two years, they cannot open or operate any similar type of like diet studios, if you will, um, in the United States. So they went over to Australia where they would open their first location in Melbourne of a Jenny Craig Center in 1983. Two years later, with the agreement no longer an issue, they would expand to the U.S. And they started in Southern California where the company opened its headquarters in Del Mar. And within two years of beginning their U.S. operations, they opened 46 locations and 114 internationally. They ended up eclipsing Nutrisystem around that time and through the 90s were opening 100 new centers a year. And so as I mentioned earlier, Jenny Craig was a pre-packaged diet. So it's probably changed somewhat since the 90s, but during its heyday, a woman could eat 1,000 calories a day and a man could eat 1,200 to 1,400 calories. And when you join Jenny Craig, you had to pay an enrollment fee, which could cost up to $350. And then you had to buy the Jenny Craig meals. So upfront, you're you know Uh-oh. already paying. Yeah, you're Uh-oh. paying this enrollment so, fee. This, this is feeling very MLM, just yes. most immediately, just like immediately finding out that her name is not really Jenny Craig. This is almost as whiplashy. It's you are correct. So in the early 90s, these meals are when you're doing kind of a week of meals, it's going to run you $50 to $75 and sometimes as high as $100 a week. And so I did some solid Googling rather than relying on my Emily math. <laughs> and in 2022, that's a little over $200 a week per person. Whoa. Right. So what? Exactly. So if you're that's really old, I know. So if you're doing like the Jenny Craig full on at that point, you're spending about $800 a month on food. <gasps> In, in two, I mean, 2022 dollars. Well, I mean, you probably, you know, spend that a month or whatever between like eating at home and going out. But just on like one food service, I, I mean, what's a comparable like a Blue Apron or something? It's not that expensive a week, is it? No. And when we're talking about like fresh and the other thing you have to keep in mind here is like when you're talking about Blue Apron or Daily Harvest or like any of these other more modern uh, like pre-packaged all that food companies Mm -hmm. they're using fresh ingredients nowadays right right? this was all frozen this is all frozen this is a lot of chemicals it's a lot of artificial stuff chemicals well i mean like it's artificial stuff right it's like you know like if you're thinking about a jenny craig or system yeah to keep it like frozen or whatever and shipped throughout wherever totally low in calories like you're saying Mm -hmm. it's low fat low this or that low that um, Jenny Craig flo- focused on slower but maintained weight loss versus crash dieting. But obviously, as we all know now, a lot of this weight loss and maintenance was not sustainable once you stopped eating the Jenny Craig food. It's very reliant on you. Even if it is a slow weight loss process, you kind of have to keep eating Jenny Craig food to keep it off. So in the early 90s, Jenny Craig's annual revenue was $400 million, which basically made exclusively from the sales of its food. And just six years after starting in the U.S., they filed for their IPO in 91, which generated over $73 million in funding. And in 1992, at the heels of their IPO, their shares were valued at $33.88. But by 2000, that stock was selling for $1.43 a share. So basically between 1992 and 2000, there were several bad decisions made that led to this demise. First and foremost, their startup costs were significantly higher than several other weight loss companies that made a push towards more online focused programs with the dawn of the internet. 
Jenny Craig had to pay rent for their locations all over the world and had a team of personal trainers that had to train and be, you know, educated in the Jenny Craig ways. Secondly, Jenny Craig had stuck to selling their food exclusively in-house, and by the 90s, diet food began to be readily available at any grocery store. So you could get, you know, snack right. wells, what healthy choice, what have you. Call yeah, I was going to ask you, like, people pick up their food from a Jenny Craig location. They can't just exactly. get it at a Safeway. That's- they can't just... And they Dungers. that's yes. a cult. That's an MLM right. slash cult. Right. And so they and I think later they they tried to make up for this, but it was, you know, call it Jojo because it was too late, too little, too late. Like wow, great ref. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Jenny Craig to try and compete with the rise of these weight loss drugs. So in the mid 90s, you guys remember there were tons of FDA approved pills on the market that later was they were legal speed going around. Basically, in the late 90s. I mean, people were chewing them like tic tacs. Like, let's be honest. Um uh-huh. So they start having doctors in Jenny Craig centers who can write up prescriptions for those diet pills. Ooh, oh my God. All of the red flags. Like yes. ding, ding, ding. Yes, ding. my friend. Yes. Oh. And when the drugs are pulled from the market for safety reasons in 1997, the company lost millions of dollars and valuable marketing momentum. Oh, and by- no. And by endorsing this drug therapy, Jenny Craig had undercut the importance of its food and counseling. So basically, if I'm if I'm a consumer, I've been using the diet pill plan and they stop using diet pills at Jenny Craig. I'm like, well, I can find them elsewhere. I'm not going to use your food and your counseling, which costs a whole lot more. And so the other thing that ends up happening is in 1997, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, filed suits against Jenny Craig and several other weight loss companies because of the false claims that exaggerated around weight loss. So this required them to change a lot of their branding, which had made the offer less enticing from its, you know, six cents a pound advertising days. And there were a ton of other factors blamed for Jenny Craig's demise, including its choice in spokespersons. So In an unfortunately named LA Times article from 2000 called, quote, Heavy Days at Jenny Craig, which like, oof, oof, yes. There's a lot of this, by the way. I mean, whenever they're talking about the diet industry in these articles, you're just like, ooh, who is approving these? Um, Yeah, I had to do a lot of creative editing. (laughs) Yikes, yikes, yikes. So they blamed in the LA Times the decision to bring on Monica Lewinsky as a spokesperson in 1999, which we talked about in our Clinton Lewinsky episode. Mm -hmm. And so while sales did go down after bringing her on, sales had actually been long in decline before and way after she was hired. So it's like, Yes, you can blame Monica Lewinsky, but I think it was very easy to make her the red herring for what was otherwise like a myriad of problems that had led to the demise of Jenny Craig at that point. Mm -hmm. So by 1998, they're operating 643 company-owned and 138 franchise centers in 45 states, as well as Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Puerto Rico. The revenue fell from $401 million in 1996 to $352 million at that point. And then, as I mentioned earlier, by the late 90s, their stock was worth $1.43 a share. So they're delisted from the New York Stock Exchange in the early 2000s. And they had to shut down roughly 100 of their worldwide stores at this point. So eventually, Sid and Jenny Craig sell the majority of their interest in the company in 2002 to Mid-Ocean Partners, which is a private equity firm, and ACI Capital, a private investment firm in a deal that was worth $115 million. And as a reminder, this was a company that was raking in $400 million a year in revenue only a Whoa. few years prior. Yeah. So big loss. That's and a so while huge this, drop off a cliff. 
Oh, yeah. And while the couple stayed on as advisors, they had to give up their 67% ownership stake in the company. And four years later, Nestle would go on to purchase the company in 2006 for $600 million. Hmm. And ultimately, since then, Nestle has sold the company in 2013 to North Castle Partners for an undisclosed amount. And then in 2019, HIG Capital acquired uh, Jenny Craig from North Castle Partners. And that's really it at this point. I mean, at as of 2019, Walgreens announced it would offer Jenny Craig weight loss services at approximately 100 locations in early 2020. But like with the pandemic, who knows what this looks like? That's really the the end of Jenny Craig. Ultimately, it's still around, but significantly less prominent in our pop culture, you know, pop culture sphere, whatever you want to call it. It's just not as much of a thing. One personal note that's kind of unfortunate, like it was so ubiquitous that so as a kid, I was made fun of uh, for not being thin. And I know that's like really sad to go into this. But someone actually told me when I was like in fifth grade, Jenny Craig was screaming my name, which was like still something that like. I know, like still sticks with me. No, it's okay. I mean, it's like, look, it's one of those things. I think what, what comes up in these, in these types of this type of research is just like diet culture was so ubiquitous in our culture that like, if you were a kid who wasn't super thin as, you know, a small child, sometimes these things came up. And so it's, it's interesting to see. I think a lot of that has changed over the years. And I don't think that kids are shamed as much as the way they were um, you know, just as early as like 10, 15, 20 years ago. But it's it's interesting to know that like back then, the name Jenny Craig was so ubiquitous in our culture. Like, even if you didn't know anyone who went to Jenny Craig for weight loss, you knew the term because of the commercials and like just how big it was in pop culture. Yeah. I mean, it kind of became a shorthand for calling someone fat. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really all I have for Jenny Craig. I realized I left that on a downer note, but like I just meant to say it was really more of an example. (laughs) No, I and I agree. And I I am so proud of you for sharing. I think that it's not easy to talk about being bullied. I just wanted to kind of like make a quick comparison between like how by comparison, Weight Watchers has always managed to like pivot, maybe not in the most elegant of ways, but they too, to bring it back to like a more positive note, they have managed to be like a kinder, gentler, less fat phobic place as well, you know, by just sort of like, I don't know how much they ditch the calorie counting, but I've, from my experience of friends that have used Weight Watchers before, I mean, it's basically like a numbers game. So it's sort of, if you have like a mind that's into that, I think that's why people initially kind of get hooked to like a Weight Watchers. But I feel like they've adopted more of a spirit of like, eat whatever you want. It's all good. But maybe that I'm just falling for their marketing that I see every once in a while. I think you're right, which is the, the what Weight Watchers did very smartly is while they sell Weight Watchers food, mm-hmm. the, the entire Weight Watchers plan and concept has never been around Weight Watchers branded food. You have yes, a set of recipes. You can eat whatever. Like you said, you can eat whatever you want. You can go to a grocery store and buy anything you want because, and it's not adhere. You do not have to adhere to a weight, a Weight Watchers branded thing so much. So, and like with the pivoting part so much so that they call themselves WW now, like they don't right. even use the term Weight Watchers. They also, um, Taffy Broadister Ackner, who's one of the writers for the New York times did a really interesting article about their pivot a few years ago. And she got to interview Oprah, who's probably their most famous, you know, spokesperson mm-hmm. of all time. 
Uh, but just how much they've pivoted over the years, I think now that they, they've changed their plans even more now to offer a lot of foods that almost have like zero points. So it is one of those things that if someone is looking for something, it seems to have been from my experience of like talking to other folks who have you know been successful on it, it, t- it tends to be the most successful because it's the most realistic with our you know regular day-to-day lives. Yeah, because what I'm about to talk about is definitely not realistic for your everyday life, let alone <laughs> the life of French people. Like, I don't know how this had ever happened. Emily, you're familiar with no. the Atkins diet, right? 100%. Was your family subjected to a shitty low-carb bread, quote-unquote, growing yes. up, or was your family normal? Okay, great. We're, yes. I'm among friends. No, no. We we definitely had our, our, our streak with Adkins or Adkins-adjacent type of lifestyle. Oh, some of the worst tasting fucking crackers I've ever had in my whole life have been when my mom was on an Atkins diet. I'm still haunted by their taste. In a section I have cleverly called Atkins, I hardly know her. I'm going to get into what to expect from the Atkins diet if you are new, which I, the Atkins diet now kind of comes in like a more fancy form called keto, but it's essentially the same principles, I, I do believe. And also in the sense that I refuse to acknowledge this as a way of life because there's absolutely no way you could convince me that this is a good idea. The Atkins diet is a low-carbohydrate fad diet made popular by Robert Atkins in the 70s. He marketed claims that carbohydrates, carbohydrate restriction is crucial to weight loss and that the diet offered a, quote, high-calorie way to stay thin forever, which, yikes, 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 at that phrasing. <laughs> The diet was inspired by a low-carb approach published by Alfred W. Pennington based on research Pennington did during World War II at DuPont. There's some, I think there's a citation needed, but we'll see. <laughs> Atkins' ideas were first published in his 1972 book, Dr. Dr. Atkins' Diet Revolution, colon, The High-Calorie Way to Stay Thin Forever. Once again, cue up those yikes. Mm-mm-mm. In this book... Atkins made the controversial argument that a low-carb diet produces a metabolic advantage because, quote, burning fat takes more calories than you expend calories. The study he was citing actually (laughs) was based on a 950 calories a day diet, and later a review published by Lancet concluded that there was no such metabolic advantage and that dieters were just simply eating fewer calories. The The Lancer study stated, quote, the monopoly and simplicity of the diet could inhibit appetite and food take, but the idea of a metabolic advantage is basically a fair tale. And all of this is all of this notion comes from a falsified experiment where a study of people were supposedly following a restricted carbohydrate diet. So the Atkins diet promotes the consumption of meat, cheese, eggs, and other high-fat foods such as butter, mayonnaise, and sour cream in unlimited amounts. Oh my while god! Bread, cereal. Pasta and other carbs are forbidden. Although it's been around since the 70s, the diet actually gained widespread popularity in 2003 specifically and 2004 when the enemy of our collective waistlines went from sweets to carbs in what is called a anti-carb. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Movement. And honestly, reading all of these hot takes around the anti-carb movement of the early aughts only made me think of the iconic words of Kim Richards. Why don't you have a piece of bread and maybe you'll calm down? <laughs> Always good with words. Mm-hmm. A wordsmith. <laughs> The Atkins Diet found fans and celebrities first, who then passed on the good word via Us Weekly and Extra about the dangers of complex starches and instead turning to protein-heavy meals for weight maintenance. At the height of its popularity in 2003, 1 in 11 Americans were reportedly on it. Celebrity fans included Jennifer Aniston, Demi Moore, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And Atkins' book was at the top 10 of the New York Times bestseller list for almost six years, selling over 15 million copies worldwide, and went on to become one of the top 50 best-selling books in history. As a result, there were a flurry of like low-carb products like low-carb beer, low-carb mm-hmm. breads. In the mm-hmm. U.S., sales of wheat and potatoes were, were reportedly hit by the fad diet. Wild meat consumption rose. This large following was also blamed for the large declines in the sale of pasta and rice, down 8.2 and 4.6% respectively in 2003. The diet's success was even blamed on a decline in Krispy Kreme donut sales. <laughs> Trying to capitalize on the, quote, low-carb craze, many companies released special products around this time that were low in carbohydrates. R.I.P. Atkins, parentheses, diet. Dr. Atkins died in 2003 and somehow still became the focus of controversy. He passed after sustaining a head injury after slipping on pavement, but the state of his health was scrutinized for the evidence of problems associated with the diet. It was reported in 2002 that he had a heart attack, and that was supposed to be proof of his poor diet, which Atkins, of course, denied. Studies have since proven that it is unbalanced and promotes unlimited consumptions of protein and saturated fat and increases the risk of heart disease. So much so that in 2004, Jody Gorin sued the estate of Robert Atkins and his company, seeking $28,000 in damages. Gorin stated that he had followed the Atkins diet for two years and it raised his LDL cholesterol so much that he had a major artery become clogged and he required an angioplasty and stent insertion to open it. On the Atkins diet, he was eating large amounts of cheese, which is obviously high in saturated fat. Gorin commented that, quote, the issue with the Atkins diet was not so much that my cholesterol went up, but it's the fact that the Atkins empire constantly stated that in the absence of refined carbohydrates, eating a great deal of saturated fat would not be a problem. And that was a lie. In 2007, the lawsuit was dismissed as Atkins diet consists of only, quote, advice and ideas that are protected by the First Amendment. Naturally, At the height of its popularity, we have Atkins Nutritionals, which was just like the diet founded in 1989 to promote the sale of Atkins-based branded products. Due to concern from medical experts about the high fat content of the diet, the Atkins Nutritional Company that marketed foods for the diet had to recommend that no more than 20% of calories eaten while on the diet should come from saturated fat. Following Atkins' death and the waning popularity of the diet, plus a reduction in demand for Atkins products, Atkins Nutritional filed for bankruptcy on July 31st, 2005, setting a loss of $340 million. And here's a little fun crossover. It was subsequently purchased by North Castle Partners in 2007. What? Mm -hmm. The same company as Jenny Craig. Mm -hmm. And switched its emphasis to low-carb snacks. In 2010, the company was then acquired by Rorek Capital Group. In 2017, 
Rorak Capital Group announced that it would merge Atkins Nutritional with Conyers Park Acquisition Corp to form a public company called Simply Good Foods. Mm. And I will close out this Atkins portion with a quote from a 2021 article review that observed that 50 years after it was first mooted, the Atkins diet was, quote, coming back on the quackery scene again, which does not surprise me whatsoever. I'm actually surprised there hasn't been a resurgence of Atkins diet yet. But I guess we have keto and like the caveman diet or the carnivore diet or whatever to kind of like replace the Atkins diet in terms of quackery on the scene. Yeah. I'm t- so there was so much that came up when you were talking. Like, first and foremost, I just remembering the slew of celebrities that did do Atkins, specifically mm-hmm. Jessica Simpson. So you gave me her book for my birthday a year ago. And I, her book, by the way, I highly recommend it for all of you. It's called Open Book. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, but two, I remember she talked about the Atkins diet that like when right. her between her first and second album, the label really wanted her to like lose weight. So they put her on the Atkins diet and she was at the time, I think she was at most like a size six, if not like a size four. And not to say like one, we shouldn't care about sizes. Like that's not the point, but, but to think about like what we were as a country, like seeing someone as quote unquote, not thin was someone of that like size is insane. Um, But two, the other thing I was thinking was just like, yeah, the, the low carb culture, like it's interesting because I think rather than focusing on having like these branded low carb foods now, we became a much more focused on kind of like we were saying with Weight Watchers is how you make like all, you know, substitutes or alternatives so mm-hmm. that you can achieve the same thing, but have, uh, try to eat the same thing you normally used to have, but in a low carb alternative, like zucchini noodles or, uh, like, you know, sweet potato toes, like these things that are like all, you know, and I, and I eat a lot of these things, right? Right. right. I think but like, that's a fad. I mean, I think it's like a, we're marrying two things too. Cause I think that what really kind of led the way of like eat the same way you normally do, but just slightly different is vegetarianism and veganism. I mean, there's yes. every single version of like a chicken strip that's vegan and vegetarian. I mean, there's, there are countless alternatives that way. And I feel like that maybe kind of led the way that we don't need to have necessarily specific foods that we can kind of like fake it or modify it, like you said, with zucchini noodles. And then we're technically on a low carb diet without calling it a low carb diet. It's just our sort of like a lifestyle choice, which maybe softens it. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell like where it stems from, like in psyche, but it's hard to deny that there's a little bit of a connection from like vegetarianism and veganism kind of like helping get away from low carb branded food. And like you said, trying to eat the way you typically do, but just slightly different or healthier, I guess is what we're saying. I would totally agree with this. Yeah. I mean, there are so many diets. I'm trying to remember, like there were so many other iterations of Atkins around that. Like South Beach was very similar, if I recall correctly, right? I had had a little line in there about South Beach that I took out because I didn't want to stray too far, but it was, I would say that they were like similar, but different camps. I think you could still eat carbs and there wasn't really such an emphasis on like high protein, high saturated fat as much as Atkins, but even Mm -hmm. still it was like the same thing, but a little bit different. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, um, I think it was time for us to talk about some of the workout fads that are tied to people being on these types of diets. Um, 
mainly, I think what we can talk about right now is the step aerobics craze, which is not really just defined as something that was big in the 90s. It started really in the late 80s, but it it had, I think, its heyday really in the 90s. I feel like you couldn't go to a gym that didn't have a step aerobics class or at least, you know, a dozen on a, a, any given weekly calendar. Do you remember how ubiquitous they were? Step aerobics? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were kind of everywhere. It's like every single workout, work from workout from home option had yes. an aerobic component, probably because it was, I wouldn't say more commonplace to not have weights. I mean, I think it is now because of the pandemic and quarantine, like everybody has a set of little weights, but I think it's because you can do it from anywhere. All you need was like a VCR. It was, it still lives on today. Like everything kind of has a little bit of like a Jane Fonda aerobic aerobicize completely completely and so what staff aerobics focuses on which is really the you know taking what we do on a day-to-day basis climb stairs and just putting it into a repetitive workout format with choreography it's not any sort of like new style of workout but just like yeah there was a bit of a like spin let's make it a little more hip let's add some like you know choreo to it so there was a lot of research done on aerobics in general and then later step aerobics in the 1980s. Um, specifically in 1986, there is some researchers from the University of Pittsburgh. They study subjects who repeatedly perform the act of stepping up and down a bench, specifically when the <laughs> subjects held these heavy hands branded hand weights while performing step exercises on a super step, which is a 12 inch fitness bench. And it was determined that this activity was just as effective as exercising on the treadmill. And with that, uh, in tandem, there is an aerobics craze that's happening in the 80s. So as you know, aerobics has been around for a long, long time. It was started really in the 1960s. A guy by the name of Dr. Kenneth Cooper was an exercise psychologist and Colonel Pauline Potts. They were both in the Air Force trying to better understand why people with good muscular strength were not great long distance runners or other endurance-based activities. Aerobics dancing, coming off of the, you know, aerobics kind of concept that Kenneth Cooper starts, Jackie Sorensen invents this idea of having like aerobics dancing because she was inspired by the book that this guy puts out and begins teaching this method to instructors across the country in the 1970s. And meanwhile, Judy Missett's jazzercise begins to rise in popularity in a similar way. And then Jane Fonda releases her first workout video in 1982, becoming the first non-theatrical home video release to top sales charts and top the top-selling VHS tape for six years. Jane Fonda sold 17 million videos in ni- between 1982 to 1995. Like, bonkers numbers. I mean, I believe it. I, that even sounds low. I, I know. Like everybody I, had a copy of that tape. It was so, like, ingrained in our fabric as a culture and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just everywhere. So needless to say, aerobics were in every gym, YMCA, JCC, or whatever rec center across <laughs> the country you attended. And there were even comp- competitions around aerobics. So one of those competitors, this woman by the name of Jen Miller, who was based in Atlanta, was sidelined from her high impact activities in 1986 when she injured her knee. And so she's advised by her physical therapist to build her strength back up by stepping on and off an upside down plastic milk crate, which is 11 inches tall. But the crate was too high for her. So she used her eight inch front for- porch step instead. 
So she does these exercises for a few weeks. She saw drastic improvements, saw potential in a new type of workout. Since she works at the gym, she's like a competitive aerobics athlete, all that. She decides that she's going to take aerobics and add this step component. And so she works with her friend, Connie Collins-Williams, who's a trainer, to develop the first step aerobics prototype using plywood. And she ended up trying them out at an Atlanta Gold's gym, and it becomes super successful. They together will develop this 250 step-based set of movements um, that was aimed at targeting men who usually weren't a big part of aerobics classes, despite being like Mm. the usual gym goers that you'd see at a Gold's gym, right? But they're always spending time mostly on the weights. They're not spending any time in any of these like aerobics classes. Mm -hmm. So these wooden prototype benches were super long. They're like 24 by two feet or the choice of heights. And then they had small weights that you could add on to add in, you know, another component of your exercise routine. So they start a company called Bench Blast in the late 80s, and they start making and selling these wooden steps and teaching their style of step aerobics. And the two will split with Jim Miller leaving for Reebok. And Reebok had sponsored Hmm. Jim Miller back. So Reebok is like the OG when it comes to sponsoring aerobics. So for context, like prior to the 80s, like Reebok was around, but they were not as big of a company as like Nike. Well, Nike is going to blow up in the 80s because of all their advertising and, you know, cornering the basketball market. But uh, at the time, you know, Reebok was big, but they really become super big because of aerobics. They design an aerobics shoe. They sponsor aerobics classes, athletes, what have you. Um, And Jen Miller was one of the athletes that they sponsored and even offered her like a rep position. But she recommended her friend Kelly Watson, who would come back to her later when she saw this aerobics bench blast program, like the step aerobics. She recommends that Jim Miller visits Angel Martinez, who was at the time Reebok's director of business development. Martinez thinks that step aerobics is a great idea, introduces Jim Miller to Reebok, the CEO, Paul Fireman. He quickly gives her the go ahead to hire um, t- to be hired to Reebok and start this major product campaign all around step aerobics. So they at Reebok already had all these connections with health clubs because of the shoe promotions. And then they're interested in attracting these male customers since the existing classes were about 90% women. So they go and get all these studies done so that they can come back with like all this, you know, science, hashtag science, right? Um, The study shows from San Diego State University that 40 minutes of step aerobics was equivalent to running seven miles in terms of oxygen breathed and calories burnt, but the body stress was much lower. So they start uh, becoming super popular and then At the same time, there are a bunch of people working on this prototype for what will be eventually like the the most famous kind of step master, if you will, that Reebok comes out with. So a lot of people with the prototypes, they were using wood, they're using all sorts of materials, and some of them are too high. They're too, uh, you know, they're wooden, so they're difficult to store. They're slippery, what have you. And so people start to put together these prototypes using plastics. Um, And so there's a group. Uh, that they work with at a plastic molding company in Atlanta to prepare a prototype step, which was first built in October of 1989. And then Reebok will go on to license, quote unquote, the step through this company and then uh, go on and sell a whole bunch of these. So you might remember these, like when you go to any gym, it's like the gray looking step aerobics thing with like 
fuchsia, turquoise, purple, like a very early 90s color scheme. Like basically, as my one of my managers at work just said when I was telling her about this episode, oh, like it matched my kitten caboodle. And I was like, exactly. Um, it just like was such a early 90s staple in any gym. And it becomes wildly popular. So they are everywhere you go, beginning, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, people start using these step Reeboks in all these health clubs. Um, they first kind of start out in the Metzaplex in West LA in December of 1989. And then they begin offering at this particular health club two to three step aerobics classes every day. And these will start making, at one point, those plants that are producing these step aerobics, like the, or what they call the steps, they're making 50,000 of these units a month. And they start expanding in Europe and Japan, all over the world. And so it becomes so popular um, that in the New York Times, they publish an article about it. And at the peak of step aerobics, they, in 1995, they have 11.4 million people doing step aerobics classes around the world. And eventually they start releasing these really iconic videos that you'll see. Like, I think the most famous one is probably the early 90s one that Reeboks released in 1992. And it's like, I rewatched it for this episode, or at least rewatched the first 20 minutes because I'm not about to watch a full 50 minute Step Aerobics video. But it was fantastic. It's like black and white. It feels very much like a music video for like any dance group of the early 90s. It's black and white, or there's like, the instructor's not even in the room. They're on a video screen. Like, it's all so weird and chaotic, but, like, it goes on to sell, like, gangbusters. And eventually, step aerobics is just everywhere to be found. And over time, step aerobics continues to be really big throughout the 90s, but it kind of just declines over time, probably because there's just a lot more offered in the term of exercise, like, group exercise classes, including what you'll be talking about eventually, um, as well as typo, as well as like yoga um, and various other things. So ultimately, it kind of just declines because there's just so much stuff in the market to be offered. But for a brief shining moment, the step aerobics uh, like lifestyle was just everywhere to be found. And there were famous instructors. I mean, in some ways, it was like the Peloton before you had Peloton were these aerobics instructors and like these famous you know, instructors that people knew by their names, they like their personalities. It's, again, what goes around, like the more things change, the more they stay the same, but really a fascinating time in the gym industry. That's really all I have to say about step aerobics because there was just so much that I had to kind of condense it. I really had no idea that Reebok was so involved in its popularity initially. That's, that is definitely something new. And it's funny that you bring up Peloton because I felt the same way looking at and watching old Taibo workouts yeah. in prep for this, where it feels very much like you, I mean, I think that it's true today and I think it's true for any workout or kind of anything that you are giving money to, you buy into like the cult of the personality, right? And so I think Billy Blanks, who created Taibo, has a bit of like Peloton instructor energy. Like I haven't done any like the shadow boxing classes. I don't know if you have. I know that there are a bunch of M&M themed ones. But <laughs> but he has like a great personality for it because it's very like motivational speaker, but not really. It's like very like, you can do it. Let's go. And like his whole thing is counting. That is his way in. Like everybody kind of has like their signature thing. And that's his thing of like incorporating dance and doing things in an eight count, which I found to be very interesting. Did you ever take a Taibo class? 
Yes, I did. I've taken, yeah, at, uh, probably like at a regular, like a, like a, like a sports y and health something. club or a Y yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Well, Taibo is a portmanteau of Taekwondo and boxing. And Taibo is a workout that, comp- that combines dance with elements of martial arts and boxing to form a workout regime that's results in mostly cardio. It includes the same like punches and kicks as karate, but it is not intended for fighting. It was not meant for any combat or self-defense activities. There are no throws, there's no grappling, and there's definitely no ground fighting in Taibo. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> no, I cannot. But when I went to a kickboxing gym briefly uh, before the pandemic and then was like, I don't want to share a bunch of sweaty bags with some strangers anymore, so I am unfortunately going to have to cancel. <laughs> they asked me, you know, in my intake form, for lack of a better term, like, oh, what's your experience? I'm like, I've taken typo classes, like, <laughs> in middle school. And they're like, okay. I'm like, and I don't know. I think it's probably good to, like, kick stuff. They're like, all right, well, we're not going to, like, teach you how to really fight. I was like, cool. So just like Taibo then. (laughs) (laughs) It also includes some aerobic exercises intended to strengthen your muscles, but uh, essentially you're following some very basic choreography. And he has some, you know, signature moves called like the butterfly where you put your hands in front of you, like you're pretending like you're laying in a casket and then you open them up with your, with one of your legs while the other leg is stationary and bent. And he calls that like the butterfly, which when I read the description of the workout it written out, I was like, I, the butterfly could truly mean any fucking thing, but that's <laughs> his version of it. So that's just like a taste of like aerobics exercises with some like choreography skill in there. Anyway, Taibo was created by a Taekwondo pr- practitioner named Billy Blanks in 1976. And the high energy hour long workout allegedly will burn between 500 and 800 calories compared to the 300 to 400 calories burned with a more conventional aerobics class. So suck on that, step aerobics. <laughs> Blanks was the seven-time world karate champion in the 80s, and Taibo is just sort of like a extension of that. Taibo also didn't really catch on in popularity until the 90s when they recorded a series of workout tapes and marketed it via infomercials, and by 1999, an estimated 1.5 million sets of videos had been sold as a result. From there, Taibo exploded as a pop culture phenomenon. Jim started offering kickboxing classes similar to to Taibo, but since Billy Blanks is very smart, he got Taibo trademarked so they could never use his name without a licensing fee, which is why they were always so carefully worded whenever it's like, it's not Taibo, it's like kickboxing cardio or whatever. Yeah, and that's what I've taken. Exactly. (laughs) Let's be clear. (laughs) That's all that they could offer at YMCA. They don't have the budget to buy a licensing fee. Nobody knows how high it was. I'm sure it was quite expensive. But Taibo videos and DVDs continue to rank among the top sellers in the fitness genre, and their derivative classes are still offered at many gyms. Naturally, during quarantine, there was a resurgence in popularity in Taibo, as it was probably the first workout for many millennials, or I'm sorry, it was probably the first at-home workout that many millennials and Gen Xers experienced. At least that's true for me. And now the 64-year-old Billy Blanks took his Taibo to YouTube during the pandemic. And so nobody has to use their VCR or find one anymore. His workout is completely unchanged. It is the same routine as it ever was. And the two girls that are counting behind him that are trying to keep up are just, you know, the Greek chorus mirroring back to you the intensity <laughs> cardio workout. But I do believe that his philosophy that a healthy workout in the comfort of your own home is the recipe for a happy lifestyle is definitely on par with where the vibes are during these uncertain times. 
And out of all of the workout crazes, this is one of the more wholesome ones. He's like the Count Chocula of working out because he loves to count. Like that's his whole thing. That and he really loves a house remix of a song. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, out of everything, like, Taibo is pretty much, like, the most harmless thing. It's, like, essentially, like, watching seniors do Tai Chi in the park. Like, it is not – It he doesn't force you to do anything. He just believes in you, and he wants you to just be happy and healthy, and there is no element of shame. I think it's, like, a good, like – PE kind of companion, if you will, that's like a little bit more fun and more spirited. I think we may have even done a Taibo class. Like we had the videotape in middle school gym class. Like I'm pretty sure we wouldn't did be that surprised. One time. Wouldn't be surprised. But it's coming back, as Celine would say, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> Uh, well, before we wrap up for this week, I just wanted to give a quick shout out and honorable mention to the cabbage soup diet, which was also a strong contender of something I wanted to cover. But it's also just like a gross, sad diet that I didn't really want to get into at all. So I skipped it in favor of Atkins, which kind of has a little bit more of a closer tie to right now. Are there any other closing thoughts, Emily, that you have before we close out the first episode of the seventh season? Yeah, I guess a quick shout out to SlimFast maybe and Trim Spa because those were all very ubiquitous in our Trim culture. Trim Spa, baby. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to the season premiere of season seven. We're Yay. extremely excited. We have a really stacked season coming up. So make sure you are subscribed to wherever to this podcast wherever you listen to this podcast and if you would like you can join the old millennial cinematic universe on patreon for the low low price of five dollars a month and get two bonus episodes if not then please just leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this whether it be on apple Podcasts and spotify i don't know if amazon or any of the like uh let you do reviews and lastly if you aren't already, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And if you want, as a bonus, you can follow me or Emily individually on Twitter. I am at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.